IRCC, the crew recapped the 10 most valuable cards sold this week in the Card Ladder database. And later, the National is two weeks away. Will Card Ladder be there? Find out now on SCC. Welcome to episode 30 of Sports Cards Culture. I'm Chris here with Nick at Stiff Arm Wax on Instagram, Christina at Christina's PC, and Josh at Cardboard Chronicles. Up first, the top 10 most valuable cards sold this week, tracked by Card Ladder. In today's episode, we're introducing a new segment the top 10 most valuable cards, MVCs, sold on Card Ladder this week. So let's count them down. Number 10. The 1955 Bowman number 202, Mickey Mantle PSA 9. The card is a population 8. It last sold July 11th, 2021 for $209,794. That's right, this is number 10. They only get more expensive from here. The seller is Memory Lane. The prior sale, five years ago, for $35,089. Appreciation, 498 percent since the last sale number nine is the 1952 tops number 261 willie mays psa 8 pop 59 last sold on july 11th 2021 for two hundred thirty three thousand five hundred eighty two dollars seller was memory lane And the prior sale was $233,700. It's depreciated 0.05% in two weeks. Uh, Number eight, 2003 Topps Chrome, number 111, Black Refractor out of 500, LeBron James, PSA 10. The pop is 20. This card last sold on July 11th, 2021 for $233,700. The seller of this card was Golden Auctions. The prior sale was 461250 just four months ago for a whopping depreciation. Depreciation. Everything else has been appreciating, mostly, for 49%, which is staggering. Number seven, the 1986 Fleer number 57, Michael Jordan, PSA 10. Population 318. There have been two new 10s added to the population in the last month and a half. You can see that on the card letter population growth tracker. This card last sold on July 11th, 2021 for $270,600. The seller was golden. The prior sale of two weeks ago was $252,150. That's actually an average of two prior sales. Appreciation, 7% since the last sale. Number six. 1948 Bowman number 69 base George Mikan PSA 9 pop 4 last sold on July 11th 2021 for four hundred twenty six thousand dollars the seller was memory lane and the prior sale was nine months ago for three hundred twenty thousand eight dollars Appreciation of 33%. Coming in at number five is the 1951 Bowman number 253 Mickey Mantle PSA 8. The pop on that one is 53. It sold on July 11th for $498,000. The seller again was Memory Lane. The previous sale was $399,750 about a month and a half ago for an appreciation of 25%. Number four, the 1980 top scoring leader. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and Julius Irving, PSA 10. 
population 24. Last sold July 10th, 2021 for $513,565. The seller is SCP. The prior sale was $553,500 a month and a half ago. Card has depreciated 7% since its last sale. At number three, we have the 1933 Gaudi number 181 Bay, Green Babe Ruth PSA 9 Pop 6. Last sold July 11th, 2021 for $1.27 million. The seller was Memory Lane. The prior sale was two and a half years ago for $456,000. It's appreciated 179%. And number two, 1952 tops number 311 base Mickey Mantle PSA 8. This is the famous 52 tops Mickey Mantle in a PSA 8. The pop is 35 on this one. It sold on July 11th for $2.1 million. I remember when the PSA 9 sold for $2 million and everyone was going crazy. The seller again, Memory Lane. The previous sale just one and a half months ago was $861,000 for an unbelievable appreciation of 145%. Any other week of the year, that definitely would have been number one. <laughs> or, or darn near any other week of the year. But a card surfaced that has never surfaced before at public auction. Up at number one is the 1933 Gaudi number 53 Babe Ruth PSA 9, population one, last sold on July 11th for $4.2 million. The seller was Memory Lane, and there are no previously recorded public sales. There's your top 10, guys. Josh, let me go to you first for some analysis. Surveying this list of the top 10 most valuable cards in CardLadder's database that sold this past week, what do you find interesting here? Man, it, there's a, a very obvious pattern that jumps right out at me. It's that all the cards here are vintage, except for the LeBron, which is the one that fell in price a dramatic amount. It's, uh, it's all vintage, vintage baseball stuff. Um, obviously, a lot of this came from um, you know one auction and just like a, a huge list of uh, items in, in a few lots but still like the the fact that all this baseball stuff went up so much and some of it in a really short amount of time especially the 52 tops says to me that vintage baseball is just the word I want to use is safe you know like because everyone's kind of worried about prices going down but vintage baseball looks like it's it's doing very well we're going to talk about that topic in more depth in a second here I I find that to be very interesting as well the consistency in the genre of card that just set staggering prices this week. Christina, I want to talk I want to touch on something else that Josh mentioned as well. According to Sports Collectors Daily, several of the cards featured in the top 10 belonged to the late Dr. Thomas Newman, a Florida neurologist who fell victim to COVID-19 in January. In total, his family sends more than 900 lots that closed at auction with Memory Lane. 900. Uh, this past weekend, including the $4.2 million Babe Ruth 33 Gaudi number 53 PSA 9, which I believe is the highest price ever paid for a sports card at public auction. Rich Mueller of Sports Collectors Daily reports that Dr. Newman paid less than $20,000 for the card in the mid-1990s. All in all, his collection netted eight figures at auction. So, Christina, what are your thoughts on Dr. Newman's legacy? and the hobby impact of this collection 
becoming available to the public. The fact that these cards are changing hands, possibly for the first time ever, especially with uh, Pop 1s out there, I mean, you're just spreading more joy to more collectors. And I think that's such such a great experience that his legacy is moving from his family and himself to other families. And people are enjoying the hobby all the more every day because of it dr newman is the uh or was the archetype of the pure collector um he he bought this mantle pop one psa9 for less than twenty thousand dollars in the mid 90s fast forward two and a half decades later the card is worth 4.2 million dollars and it's taking care of probably at least a generation by itself of his family, at least one, maybe several, depending upon how wisely they allocate those resources. But just one card, and, and we, Josh, we've been there before, many in the hobby have been there before where they've spent maybe 10000 20000 30000 on a card. And isn't that like the dream scenario? You get to hold it and enjoy it for 20, 25 years and then, boom, It's it, you leave your family with a life-changing inheritance. What do you think about Dr. Newman as, as the archetype of the pure collector? This is like the best case scenario for any collector. Like you said, this is just, uh, I mean, it's the ultimate hobby story. I, I hope people pull uh, away from this, the story that it is, and not just like the, the one Babe Ruth PSA 9 sale. Because really what's happening here that you're pointing out is that uh, someone's built a collection over a very long period of time and they bought what they enjoyed and they held it. And um, I think that, you know, this is kind of what any collector would love to aspire to do is to build a collection they're proud of, own it for a very long time, and then be able to leave it to their family, right? And and have it do this these incredible um, this incredible ROI on it and have it return great value to their to his family. Let's circle back now to another point that you'd made earlier which is why vintage baseball seems to be doing so well. So let's talk about the 52 tops mantled PSA eight. The card sold for 1.61 million in the now infamous golden auction that closed on January 31st, 2021. And that auction marked the peak for many cards. The mantle fell all the way to 861,000 in May of 2021, losing half of its value from the peak, which is not an unfamiliar story for many cards. But now it has blown past its previous record high to a nearly unfathomable $2.1 million. Now compare that to the 86 Fleer Michael Jordan rookie card PSA 10, which sold in that same golden auction for $720,000. But it has now fallen below $300,000 and it looks stuck there for the time being. So Josh, why do we think that vintage baseball continues to set records long after the early 2021 boom and then correction. I think it's because these the baseball cards that we're talking about here are very old and they have a lot of history to them. It has a lot of time built up of collectors that have enjoyed them over the years and there's been recycles of collectors who wanted to recapture, you know, what their their grandparents collected or their great-grandparents maybe even some of this stuff is so old. So to have these cards be this old, have this much established history and just have so many people that have collected them over the years it just keeps building and building and uh you know people people are looking at modern stuff and they want all these simple solutions on how to make them go up in value very quickly they want to make a one instagram post or they want to you know have a player have a 30 point game and all of a sudden their collection doubles and this to me is the more realistic uh it's more more palatable story in my opinion is that 
you know, you, you work on something for decades and it's the same for like an individual athlete. You know, we want to make, we want to make someone a hall of famer or a, you know, an all time great player after one playoff run. But the reality is it takes, it takes a long time to build something up like this. And so I hope people take away from this that, uh, you know, what, think about stuff you want to buy today for your collection that you think will have this tremendous value in 30 years, right? Think about the things that are going to be important to other people historically 30 years from now. You know, is it going to be a random select card of the fourth best quarterback prospect? Possibly, you know, you're, you're just sort of guessing at this point, but try to think really long term about some of the stuff and, and you know, not necessarily try to triple your money, you know, in a, in a short period of time. Because that, that was the case in sports cards for a little while. And, and it was very easy to make money and people were doubling and tripling their money. And now it's not so easy. But the stuff that is still doing well is the stuff that uh, people have collected for a really long time. And we've, like I said, built up a history of it. Yeah. And you look at the players who are on this list. And this is a special list. The list won't always have these players. This, these lists are very different from week to week. But you had... Babe Ruth, who makes two appearances on this list. Mickey Mansell makes three appearances. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, and Julius Irving appear on one card. George Mikan, the great George Mikan, makes one appearance. His rookie card is from 1948. Talk about history. LeBron James makes one appearance. Michael Jordan makes one appearance. And Willie Mays makes one appearance. And those are the those are the athletes who appeared on this top ten uh, all-goats all goats indeed and all cards with a rich hobby history christina yes collectible which is a company that offers the opportunity to buy shares of sports cards and other memorabilia posted to their instagram page today that shares of their copy of the 52 mickey mantle psa 8 were trading for 14 dollars and 10 cents at the close of trading on friday the market cap value for the card implied by that share price is six hundred eighty three thousand dollars Whereas the copy this weekend that sold with Memory Lane sold for $2.1 million, which is more than triple the implied value of Collectibles copy. So do you think it makes sense that a card is worth more as a unified whole rather than the sum of its fractionalized parts? Or in other words, as we go deeper into the era of fractional sports card ownership, should the right to buy a card outright command a premium over a card that's been fractionalized? Oh, it totally makes sense. And yes, uh, it like to have the card in your possession and own the entire the entire card itself should definitely be a premium over you own like this like millimeter of the corner or like you own someone's eye socket. So like, <laughs> so of course, uh, that would be a premium. But it, I would be interested in seeing what the shares trade for come up this start at the beginning of the week and uh tracking what they sell for now are people raising the prices of their shares uh to higher values because of this new sale and what if it's close if it opens at 14 10 what will it close at on monday when the bell rings I, I think you're right. I, that'll be really interesting to see how many buyers and sellers there are of these shares. I also think that um, someone or multiple people are kicking themselves that they didn't buy all the shares on Friday before <laughs> close. Yeah, the writing <laughs> may have been on the wall there. Although I remember watching this auction with Memory Lane close. It went until around 6 a.m. And it, and it ended at like 10 <laughs> p.m. the night before. Uh, sometimes that happens. So, uh, Josh... 
let me send it to you for any final thoughts on this week's top 10 most valuable cards sold on card ladder this week i think just to you know have that long-term mindset and you know i don't know how many times we have to point it out on this show but having the collector mindset and and collecting things that you enjoy for the very long term uh is always going to win out you know we just we've proven it over and over and we're going to continue to do so so just remember that you know this is a, a long game. People have been collecting cards for over a hundred years, and uh, this isn't just some new top shot thing that's that's popped up out of nowhere. This is something that has a lot of history, and to to remember to try to focus on things that that make you happy and you enjoy collecting, and that also, if you want to make money from it, you got to think long term. What do you think is going to you know hold up 50, 60 years from now? Coming up on Sports Cards Culture, the National, and whether Card Ladder will be there. Card Ladder, the best sports card app on the market. The future of sports cards is here. Card Ladder is the 21st century price guide and market analysis tool for sports cards. The best tools to help you track your cards. Watch the trends, stay informed, compare cards, and track the growth of your personal collection. All in one simple and intuitive platform. Join the innovators, not the imitators. The future is here. The future is now. Card Ladder. Watching SCC Sports Cards Culture. Keep up with the crew and follow them on all the socials. Plus, join Josh and Chris and sometimes special guest Christina every Friday night on Instagram Live. The crossover. The National. The National Sports Collectors Convention is two weeks away. And there's still time to make accommodations to attend if you haven't already done so. A friend of mine just booked his hotel a few days ago. But make sure you act quickly. I don't know how long, how much longer any of the surrounding hotels are going to have any vacancies. Uh, VIP and Super VIP tickets, by the way, to the National are sold out. The only ticket level still available is general admission, which can be purchased at nsccshow.com. And they've also recommended that you buy your tickets in advance because they can't guarantee there will be tickets if you show up on the day of. So just forewarn, be forewarned that might happen, guys. Josh, will Card Ladder be set up at the National? And if so, where will we be? We are set up at the National. We're actually sharing a booth uh, with a couple friends, so we don't have a full, you know, full booth set up. But it, we still have enough to 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 make a presence and have some fun. We are going to be right next. We're actually really easy to find. We're going to be right next to the corporate pavilion, which is you know the red carpet in the center of the show. Uh, we're right across from Tops at booth five sixty six, five six six. Now, uh, Josh, follow up question to that: What can people expect from the card ladder booth, and should they expect to see one of us there uh, at the booth during the show? Yes. Uh, we're bringing the whole team. So someone from the team will be at the booth at all times. 
Um, you can you can count on one of the three of us being there at some point for sure. I don't know when we're going to run away and try to build our own collections. <laughs> we, we're definitely not going to be there the whole time. But uh, we will have uh, a display of our application if you want to sign up. We'll, we'll also have some uh, promos. I'll let Christina get into that. But we'll have some fun stuff going on at the booth. And I think most importantly, we'll just be there to answer questions and, and chat about the hobby if you want to chat. Yes, we will. Uh, now, Christina, yes. as Josh tagged you in, without disclosing any specifics, will there be any special card letter promotions going on at the National? And if so, how might people take advantage of them? Yes, there will be promotions that card letter is running or will run during the National. You'll have to stop by the booth, number 566, right across from Tops, in order to find out what it is. Very good. All right. Last question of the show. Should people feel comfortable approaching content creators or other people that they recognize in the hobby? What advice do you have on how to approach familiar faces that will be walking the show floor? Content creators make content because, you know, they're comfortable speaking and, uh, you know, having their face out there. So, like, we definitely want you to come up and say hey to us. I, that was, that's probably, like, one of my favorite shows, part of the show, um, you know, speaking selfishly. I, I enjoy... Uh, the people that want to chat, talk to me about, you know, the hobby or if they've seen my content or whatever. I, I love a good discussion. Um, advice I have on approaching. I would just say, you know, just be, just be nice. Be a normal, approachable, nice person. I don't, I don't think it needs to be much, much more than that. I, you know, if I'm, if a content creator is like in the middle of a deal or they're talking to someone else, just normal human interactions, don't interrupt them and, you know, just be friendly. I think just being polite, like if you see someone talking in a conversation, um, maybe just like, you know, wait, don't just jump in. Um, I know that was that was something um, that maybe content creators were guilty of during the Dallas show. Um, People would be in conversations and they would just jump in and ignore that there was a conversation going on and pull someone aside to film or something and just just be cognizant of what others are doing uh, and others is time. If you see someone crossing the floor and they look like they're kind of in a hurry, um, don't be upset if they just say hi and keep going. They might have to be go to the bathroom or they need desperately need something to drink or they're on a mission to get a PC card. I, I, I guess that's like my advice. I don't know. Do you have any advice, Chris? Uh, my advice is to follow the advice that Josh and Christina just gave. <laughs> Such a cop out. And that will do it for episode 30 of Sports Cards Culture. See you guys next week. Thanks for watching. Tell us in the comment section below what the crew should cover next week. And don't forget to subscribe. See you next time at SCC Sports Cards Culture.